Ladies and gentlemen, the Conservative Daily Podcast is back on the air. And now your hosts, Max McGuire and Joe Altman. Back with the second hour of the Conservative Daily Podcast. Give us a thumbs up if you're watching on Facebook. Comment, comment, comment. If you're watching on DLive, comment, comment, comment. And hit the share button. Share this with as many people as possible. Um, we want to continue to grow the show. We are now 79, I think. Uh, where are we? We are to uh, do. We are 89. 89 on the Apple Podcast list. We're we're kind of fluctuating between 70 and 89. Um, so help us if you haven't already. Please do subscribe to the audio version of the podcast. If you have an Apple device, do so on Apple Podcasts and give us a good five star review and help us. We are 79th right now. Ratings. We are 79th right now, and we are 17th in total listenership. If you just use the uh, the uh, metrics that they have on total listens, and we are now on Frank on Frank speech, correct? I, I don't know. I, I, we should be. We should be. I hope we are, because um, that's been in the process for a little bit. Mr. Producer, do we have Shabir connected? I don't want to. I don't want to waste any of his time. I want to make sure we get him on the air as fast as possible. So if Shabir is connected, why don't we bring him on? Shabir, welcome to the show. Um, we we kind of we kind of gave this a little bit of a lead up, but you are going through the situation that we've seen so many people go through in the last couple of days, last week. You have family members, your pregnant wife, your son, extended family, stuck in Afghanistan. Um, I don't want to paraphrase it, so why don't you tell us your story because you're stuck in India now, if I if I'm correct. Um, tell us the story about yeah, what's I'm, happened uh... over the last couple of days. <clears throat> Absolutely. Um, there's, uh, there is one correction I wanted to make. Uh, it's actually my unborn son. Um, he's not oh, born yeah, unborn. Yet. Okay. Uh, he's due very soon. He will be born a U.S. citizen. Um, I'm currently okay. stuck in, uh, New Delhi in India. Um, but it's been, it's been insane. Uh, the moment I found out the way everything was going down, um, it kind of hit us like a ram truck. We didn't expect it to, to happen like this at all. Uh, we didn't expect this level of incompetence and, uh, you know, we expected, for someone to be able to, to help our family out. You know, we had our cases in process and um, I was actually in Afghanistan until April. And then, you know, I get a call from my wife saying, hey, the Taliban are in Kabul. They started to overrun the airport. Uh, a couple of days later, I was, you know, I was already working with our senator's office. Uh, you know, I'm working with them and working with the State Department. They get an email letting them know, hey, go to the airport. That first night they went to the airport, I had them leave the house and they got there at, uh, they left about three in the morning, got there around three thirty four in the morning. And they were there for a little over 19 hours total. And the reason I ended up getting a ticket that night and flying out because that same day, uh, our, my little niece, she's two and a half years old. She was lost. She was separated from her father by the Taliban and they beat both of my brother-in-laws um, they beat them to a pulp. They took the two and a half year old little girl in the, uh, British soldiers that were there. They actually pulled the little girl into their camp, uh, and their camp was set up in the Baron hotel. They pulled her into there and the whole family was freaking out. My sister-in-law was standing in tear gas for so long that her face was literally peeling. Um, my wife, again, she's 34 weeks pregnant. She was just about 32 and a half weeks pregnant at the time. She was pushed to the ground uh, while they were firing their weapons right above her head. You know, just just the fact that you know, I go to the shooting range often, and yeah, yeah. you're wearing yeah. 
ear protection. She doesn't have that. She's pregnant. They're right above her head, shooting over and over and over again. She was scared for her life. She's she's she had her arms wrapped around her stomach. She was trying to protect the baby, regardless of what happened. And uh, she ended up being in a lot of pain. The family, you know, both of my brother-in-laws, they were beaten severely. It took them seven and a half hours to recover that little girl. In the in that time, I didn't spend a single moment not trying to find a way to help them. I called every agency I possibly could. I spoke with everyone I could. I spoke with people at CENTCOM. I spoke with people in the State Department, trying to see if anyone could even just help them get the girl. I said, forget about leaving, just help them get the girl. They couldn't help. Uh, we finally did get her back uh, and the family kept going. They still pushed on after that. They were already bruised, they were beaten. Uh, they had no food, no water. There's no bathrooms, there's no facilities, nothing. They're just standing there. And again, my wife was pregnant. They're standing there. Um, finally, the U.S. soldiers come out. I'm speaking to them on the phone. Uh, my wife's got me on loudspeaker. My brother-in-law then called me after my wife's phone hung up. And I'm speaking to the soldiers, and they won't let the family in. I'm trying to explain to them repeatedly, hey, you know, I'm a U.S. citizen. That's my wife. She has her approved I-130 in her hand. You can take a look at it. She, she's approved to go in. You know, they were told to be here at this gate so you could let them in. They, you know, they apologized. I said, I'm sorry, sir. We've only been authorized to let citizens and uh, green card holders in. And uh, they stayed there as long as they could until they absolutely had to go. They were all dehydrated. They had spent so much time in tear gas. And they'd just been beaten so badly that they couldn't stay there anymore, uh, especially my wife. You know, she was having a lot of issues, especially without having any water or food. They yeah. ended up going back home. That same night, I got a ticket, and I flew it as fast as I could. I was hoping to get in on any of the last flights I could yeah. possibly get in. And I found one ticket in the whole world. There was one ticket going in from, from New Delhi, India. I was lucky because I had a, a business visa in India. So I was able to actually come through and travel. Um, but even then, I got stuck. I got here. My flight was canceled back to back to back. Um, I think it was five times that it was canceled and rescheduled until finally it was just canceled without being rescheduled, and I was stuck here. Um, here I've been in this same little one bedroom in a hotel since I've been I, I had a call coming in. I've, again, it's okay. I've got it's multiple okay. connections. Okay. Yeah. Um, it's like I lost sound. No, we, we, we so, can hear you. We can hear you. Can you hear us? We can, can, we you can hear, hear you. We can still hear you when you talk. You can um, hear me? Okay. Yes, I can, we can uh, hear you. Can you hear us? I can't hear you guys, but as long as you can hear me. Um, you know, I, I kind of pushed through, and I've been working here, spending 16, 16 to 20 hours a day on the phone with people from my center's office, my lawyer, uh, people from CENTCOM in the Air Force, anyone and everyone who could listen for even a minute. I was on the phone with them. Um, I've been hung up on thousands of times already. Uh, I couldn't find anything. There was no one willing to help. And I, I couldn't get anywhere with it. The, the situation on the ground is, is not the same as what's being reported. My family went to the gate six times. They went to the different gates six different times. Two of those times my wife went on her own, just as the spouse of a US citizen could not get through. Uh, and it wasn't necessarily just the soldiers holding them back. You know, uh, The soldiers, I understand they have to do their job. They do what they're told to do. If they're told only let people with green cards and citizenship in, that's all they're going to let in until they're told to let others in. 
and that's understandable. They're at least managing the gate in front of them. But what isn't understand, you know, we're, we're handing off that security to the Taliban. We're having them establish a perimeter. We're giving them the lists of people that are supposed to be there. My wife was on those lists. Her name is on that list. My family's name is on that list. They were told to be at specific gates and it was, um, it was pretty ridiculous. She gets to the gate, they don't let her in. She gets there and not, she can't do anything about it. Um, it was so just can you, the, can the worst feeling in the sound? world to know that there's nothing we can do. Shabir, um, can you let me go us? ahead. I'm gonna, I'm gonna disconnect real quick and just reconnect. Yeah, yeah disconnect, disconnect, and then reconnect. Yeah, he's gonna reconnect. Um, sorry, he got a call that came in while he so, was on with us, and that messed up the audio. But he's gonna reconnect so with I us wanna, shortly. So, so I want to address, you know, one of the things. Number one, we we have a group that's gonna help Shabir get his wife and family out. Um, so uh, we're going to talk to him about that offline, but Max, this is what you're hearing right now from Shabir specifically. Shabir, are you back? Yep. Yep. Okay. So uh, what you're, what you're describing, you know, I spent years in the middle East and Africa, um, working in places that most people wouldn't want to visit. And, uh, what you're describing is exactly what I think the, the, the facade of what's really happening versus what is reality on the ground is what has been is what has been lied to for Americans for many many years, and there have been lots of soldiers that have retired or left the military that come back to the United States and listen to revisionist stories that are that are made. Um, the, what you're saying is not an uncommon story. This is something that happens every day. They create a narrative, they push that narrative out there, uh, while they watch innocent people get slaughtered. Um, and you know, what I was saying before you came on here is that we have a group that's going to help you get your wife, um, and your unborn child out of, um, Afghanistan. I have been on, uh, the phone working with a group of people to get a contact so we can get uh, everything we can to get your wife out. So, uh, we're going to do everything we can to assist you on our side. Um, to get you connected with some uh, intelligence folks to, to help you get your wife out of there. So uh, just so you know, after we get off this call, I'll call you and we'll work on that as well. But, uh, you know, you, you talk about your brother-in-law's being beaten by the Taliban, shooting over your wife, um, having to go to these gates, being told to do one thing and the, the lack of uh, cohesion and what you're being told and what's happening on the ground with um, them not letting them in at these six different gates. Um, describe, you know, describe to us what, you know, how do you feel about this? I mean, you're an American citizen. How do you feel about what you're dealing with right now? It's, it's the worst feeling in the world. Um, it's feeling helpless. You know, I, I explained to my wife, the reason I went there isn't just to, to just help them. I, I would go there and I would help anybody in front of me. I I would not care if I, if I saw anyone that needed help, I would help them. It's just this, that sense of humanity and understanding that these people are, are there, they're brutal, they're savages. Um, they, they're not people that we should negotiate with. They're not people that we should tolerate even speaking with. It doesn't make sense to, they're inhumane. Um, you know, in, in the Afghan culture, we actually have a saying, um, you know, it doesn't matter how, how much you speak to a donkey, right? The only way you're going to get it to go is if you, if you use your stick and you hit it on its, on its ass and you get it moving forward. They're the exact same way. It's not, it's pointless. Oh, you have to, you have to say that when, in Arabic. You have to say that in Arabic. 
سو اتس اتس ان فارسی مجبور است حرکت چوب بزنی بدون از نمیشه یو نو اف یو کانت دو دت It's completely true. So I was reading a little bit. You have family members there, not, not just your wife, but you have other family members who worked with yeah. the Americans in Afghanistan. I don't want you to share anything that could get them in trouble. I don't want you to tell specifically what they did, right? Because obviously you mentioned that yeah. all these names Absolutely. are on the list, which is the most treasonous thin, thing I've ever heard of, short of actually abandoning them at the airport. I cannot think of anything more treasonous than giving the enemy the list of, of your VIPs. But talk about One that aspect. That it's list. not just your wife. It's, it's other people who help the Americans. Go ahead. Absolutely. Um, it's, it's within her family. It's within her family. And um, they'd worked with the U.S. military for seven years. Right? Um, the family had their case. Several years ago, it was already put in. They already had gone through, had their interview, did their medical check, came back for a second interview. And uh, because one of the children involved the SIV case at the time of the second interview was 21, on suspicion of age, they denied the case, even though the case was actually started several years prior to that. Yeah. So they were denied. Had they not been denied, that whole family would have been here by now. Uh, and they weren't denied by anyone any U.S. representative, they were denied by someone else there. And it was, again, you know, just relying on multiple sources. My family was there. They were speaking in English to the interviewer. It, it just didn't make sense. It, it, you know, it doesn't add up. But beyond that, they had reapplied. They'd already pushed forward. And that's when things got crazier. With this whole craziness that's been going on with COVID, we shut down Uh, a lot of processes in our embassies across the world. And a lot of people don't even know about this. I didn't know about it until I had to find out about it because of my wife while I was in Afghanistan myself, yeah. uh, trying to get a meeting with the embassy. A lot of embassies, you know, if, if you're a U.S. citizen, you would expect that you could go up to any U.S. embassy, walk up, show your passport, be able to get in if you're in an emergency. And right now that's not the case. A lot of embassies right now, you have to have an appointment and they will only see you yeah. for – a small number of issues. And the reason why they're doing that is because they've great, re, greatly reduced staff because of COVID. For about a year and a half, they performed zero interviews with COVID for all SIV applicants and everyone else in Kabul. So if you know that you have hundreds of thousands of cases to process and you're yeah. not interviewing any of them, but you know you're going to be pulling out of the country, you know, again, yeah. that just doesn't add up. To go a step beyond I've that, watched... once they did start. Oh, God, sorry, finish, and then I'll talk. Go ahead. Uh, I, yeah, I was just going to say, once they started to actually get those interviews in, they were interviewing six people a day. Six. And they had queues of hundreds of thousands. That's... Yeah. So, uh, uh, tons of questions. But um, I, I guess I'll, I'll start with, I just want to clarify, they got to the gate. They got to the gate. You were on the phone with soldiers, American soldiers at the gate. You explained to yep. them that your wife has all of the paperwork within her wo her womb is an American child yet to be born. They did not let her in. We have heard reports that with the exception of a couple that throughout the day, there were flights with empty seats. And among the last Absolutely. planes to leave 
to leave Kabul, they had empty seats. What what would you say to Joe Biden? Because we, we've heard so many people, whether it's the families of the fallen soldiers who are who are basically cursing him out on the tarmac. Um, I don't, you don't have to do that. But if you had Joe Biden's ear and you saw that no less than 21 times, he promised that every American would get out. Everyone would get out. And he didn't. Right. He had them leave a day early. They could have gone through the end of the 31st. They didn't. What would you say to him right now? In all honesty, I've been following up with all of the uh, the families of the soldiers and their reactions and what, what they've gone through and seeing the way that Joe Biden has reacted to them. I I wouldn't even look him in the eye. I don't even feel as if it would be worth speaking to him as a human being because he clearly does not care. He showed zero empathy for soldiers that died on the ground because of him. He was looking at his watch the entire time. He was trying to, he had, he had something else to do. He was, he was preoccupied with something else. While all of this was going on, he was in Delaware. He was in, what was it, Camp David, I think? Um, Camp, Camp, he, Camp David, he had, then he went on vacation in Delaware, yeah. Yep. And so, you know, he, he, had, he obviously had better things to do than worry about the largest, you know, humanitarian crisis the U.S. has ever created in the world. He had better things to do. I feel as if it doesn't matter. He's too incompetent to understand anything. He's not worth speaking to at this point. Um, a human so being that has you... such little regard for human life, especially the human life of citizens and allies that worked with us hand in hand and that went to war and went and fought side by side with our soldiers, that person is just not worth speaking to. It isn't worth speaking to. And you mentioned that you tried your best to get through to the State Department. Um, I want to play this clip, and hopefully you can see it. I, the internet actually is, is pretty good. I'm surprised how, how good the connection is in India right now with you. But this is, this is uh, Secretary of State Blinken, and the reports are that he was actually on vacation when all this went down, too. He was on vacation, I believe, in the Hamptons. Um, this is him being asked a question, I believe, this morning about Americans being trapped behind the Taliban lines. And, well, well, we'll just play it, and I'll get your reaction to it. Let's play cut number two, Mr. Producer. Thanks for listening. Mr. Secretary, did this administration break its word that no American would be left behind? Answering the question, we can cut that, and I'll, let's play cut number one. This is the one I was actually thinking of. Play cut number one. Look like, how does diplomacy get those people out of the Taliban-controlled Afghanistan? It's not completely unlike the way we do it elsewhere around the world. I mean, we have uh, Americans that get stranded in, in, uh, in countries all the time, uh, and we do everything we can uh, to try to facilitate safe passage. And we have, uh, we have made it very clear what our expectations are to the Taliban. So you have Blinken walking away, turning his back on the question about what they're going to do. And you have John Kirby, spokesperson for the Pentagon, saying Americans get left behind all the time. Excuse me. No, they don't. They don't. This does not happen all the time. And you have Kirby, if, I don't know if you've watched any of his press conferences, I hope you haven't because they've been a mess. He says you have to go to the State Department because the war effort's over, now it's the diplomacy. Meanwhile, Blinken at the State Department, he's walking away not answering the questions. So I, I look around and I don't think, I, I agree with you, I don't think any of them care because they're passing the buck, they're, 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 they're trying to pass the blame. And uh, if any of them care, if, if even just one of these people cared. I, I think it's even worse than that. Life they're situation not even passing so much the buck, they're pretending it doesn't exist. They're just yeah. pretending the buck doesn't exist. They're pretending like there is no problem. 
I wish they were trying to yeah. pass the buck to each other because then we could hold somebody accountable. But, you know, like you said, he's just walking out. No questions. The guy's saying, oh, what happens all the walk. time? We literally have a saying, yeah. no man left behind. What happened to that? Yeah. That is ingrained in us as a society and as a nation. Every human being. I mean, I'm very pro-military. Right now, I've brought two shirts out with me while I'm here. One of them is my 22-a-day shirt. My second one is another mm-hmm. one from Nine Line Apparel. These are my beliefs and what I believe in, right? Family, faith, friends, flag, and firearms. I don't let people mess with those like things. That. But clearly, <laughs> clearly, that's better ingrained in me than it is in, in these people that are trying to run the country. Yeah. And no, I came I mean, to the U.S. as a refugee. Yeah, so, so talk about that. Talk about how you came here because – um, I think so often refugees, get, they get a bad rap and, and they shouldn't. Uh, sometimes we bring people into the country we shouldn't have, but lots of the times we bring people in the country who, like you, just em- embrace American values, right? You embrace it wholeheartedly, um, just as you said on the flag. Talk about that story and how you came to America real quick. It, it kind of comes full circle. Um, in 1998, my mother was eight months pregnant and uh, my father was killed by these same people. We had run away and gone to Pakistan and he was still killed. And this was 1998, my mother was eight, eight weeks pregnant, uh, eight months pregnant. My sister was born one month later. We came to the US as refugees because of the Taliban. We got there because of them. And now my wife is pregnant and she's stuck in a nation with these same savages. It, it it's sad because we've been there so long. There are, I mean, when, when you see the videos of the people who are clinging to the side of the plane, trying to get out, not even paying attention to hypoxia or that you actually can't just fly on the outside of a plane. Um, they were so terrified. And you saw some of them were in their forties and fifties. And you realize that they were teenagers when the United States came in, they were teenagers. And yet it's full circle for you. You fled, you have a child. Now your child is, is right in the same exact situation. And it, it's heartbreaking because it didn't have to be this way. It didn't. We all knew that we had to leave Afghanistan. Everyone agreed, right? We can't be there forever. But to hear Biden say that this is the gold standard, that this is the best it could have been, that your wife having shots rang out above her head, right? Clutching her belly to try and protect her unborn child, your niece being beaten, I mean, how, how do we make sense of this? How do we have the administration bragging about all of these airlifts when there's so many people being left behind? How do they say this is a success? It's like saying the Titanic sunk and wow, we had the best lifeboats ever. I mean, that's what we're hearing from them. It, it makes no sense whatsoever. It's heartbreaking. And I, I don't know what a solution is. <laughs> we're supposed to help Afghanistan and we did in many ways, but now it's, it's, it's worse off than it was 20 years ago. You know what? What um? What's crazy is I could have come up with a better plan for this within thirty seconds. Uh, you know, than than what they actually did. It, it it's almost as if to mess up this poorly, it had to have been on purpose. Because just think of it like this: if you're a logical human being, uh, and you have a military and you have a huge force with a lot of arms, a lot of ammunition, a lot of aircrafts, and a lot of vehicles. What do you do when you abandon those things in the middle of the field? You, Blow them up. you demilitarize them, right? 
how come we didn't do that with any of the equipment that we left the Taliban? We only <laughs> did it at the dollars. airport. Yeah. We did it only at the airport, and that was after our evacuations. But not only did we leave equipment, right? Because one thing is we left close to about 76,000 vehicles in total. And our reports have shown that, you know, there was roughly 75,000 Taliban. There was more than one vehicle per Taliban. We gave yeah. them over 600,000 arms. They have they a greater air force than 85% of countries in the whole world. Yeah. It's true. And and like it's you true. said with the and arms, they, they absolutely can't use them. If you had a small squad of people who are trained, they could they could easily combat a large group of them. You know, there's videos of these guys. They, they get these weapons. They're looking at them. They don't even know how to, to rack them. They don't know how to do anything with them. They don't know how yeah. to use them. Yeah. But they were still left no, in perfect condition for them to use. What's probably going to happen is they're going to sell them. They're going to sell them. I mean, the Taliban doesn't need 600,000 weapons. They don't need 600,000 rifles. They don't. They're going to sell them to some other terror organization, some other country, sell them to Iran. They'll sell the Blackhawks to Iran. They'll, they'll probably sell them to North Korea because these They've are all countries that haven't been able to buy already. this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. This is going to be the biggest arms bazaar. I mean, anyone who's been to the Middle East, been to this area of the country knows that there's already weapons being sold like candy on the streets. This this is going to be the biggest arms bazaar ever. And I don't know if you've seen it. I, I know that you're you're really busy trying to get your family out. But did you see the video of the Black Hawk flying in Afghanistan with a man being hung underneath it? Did you see that video? Yeah, that's part about it is that when you when you think back to it and you realize that that Black Hawk was paid by our tax dollars. Yes, it was. Yes, I, I don't want to play the whole and left for them. I don't want to play the whole video. I don't want to play the whole video, but I do have a picture of it. If you put up image one, Mr. Producer, this literally happened yesterday in celebration of the Americans leaving. This is these are real photos of a man being hung by the neck until dead underneath a U.S. paid for helicopter being flown by Taliban pilots. But then our, just, our leaders so will tell depressing. us that they've negotiated and our, our leaders will tell us at the same time that they've negotiated uh, the ability for our citizens and for our allies and, and our families to be able to leave the country peacefully and leave the country without being harmed. But that's the literal yeah, show no, that they lie. put on right when we leave. It's, it's not going to happen. So, And we know the Taliban was... have lied. And actually, <clears throat> I was, I was going to tell you about no, uh, a real life occurrence that's actually going on right now. Actively right now, uh, there are Taliban pulling people over, people that are in their vehicles. If they see that, you know, sometimes if there's women in the vehicle with you, they'll let you go because they'll, they'll just will. But other times yeah. they see people, if they assume that you might be uh, Azara, which is a, you know, it's a, it's a one of the ethnic groups in Afghanistan. They're, they're mostly Shia, uh, Shiites. If they see that you might look like you might be Azara, they'll actually start telling you to pull out your ID cards, your, your Tascaro, your birth certificate. Most people have those in their electronic now. They kind of look like a green card. They'll have you pull that yeah. out. And on those, it specifically says whether you're Pashtun, Tajik, Uzbek. Um, mm -hmm. And if you're Uzbek, you're most likely an Azara and you're most likely a Shiite. Yeah. They will literally target those people and they will shoot them on the spot in the middle of the street. And they have been. Yeah. And for nothing more than being born in a different ethnicity. Yeah. If that's not oppression, what is? Well, th this sounds like Rwanda. It doesn't matter if you this work in like or not. Rwanda. It's an ethnic cleansing. What's probably going to happen 
what's probably going to happen is ethnic cleansing, genocide. I mean, there, you hear Biden talk, oh, we don't, we're, we're not involved before. in a civil war. Yeah, it, and and it, a lot of this is our fault. A lot of this is our fault. We went in and we're trying to create a united Afghanistan. I don't know if you believe that it's possible. I don't believe that's possible in most parts of the Middle East and Southwest Asia. You have entire ethnic groups, nations of people being split two, three, four ways by imaginary lines in the dirt and sand. And now we're telling, oh, <laughs> these enemies that you've hated forever. Oh, congratulations. You're going to be in parliament with them. I mean, what do we think was going to happen? It, it, it's it's so backwards. <sighs> I, I don't. I, it, it's so easily predictable. The biggest problem is we expected them to set up a government the way we have our government. That just can't work. Yeah. It won't work. Yeah. When we go into other countries, we try and set up their military and their government based on our model. Our model works for us because of our core beliefs and what we do and and how we perform. You know, it's not going to work the same. For example, with their military. Um, you know, if you look at the, the U.S. model, it's, it's slight ground support with a lot of heavy air support. If yeah. we set up countries like Afghanistan in that same fashion, it just can't happen unless if the U.S. is providing that air support. Yeah. The moment the U.S. stops providing that air support, stops taking care of their aircraft, stops, you know, providing all of those airlifts and everything else that they need, that on the ground military can't function, especially like uh, right now. I'm not sure how aware you are about uh, Pine Share in that area and what they're doing, because they do have uh, people that are fighting against the Talibs. Yeah. Um, right now, Masood, he he's the son of a man who had actually worked with the U.S. and had fought with the Taliban before. He's leading a lot of people. He has um, Amrullah Saleh with him. A lot of people are actually saying that no, Amrullah Saleh and Masood are actually you know that's the rightful government of the nation. They're actually fighting back against terrorists because. The rightful government should not be a terrorist organization. How can of a terrorist not. organization be the rightful government? So they're saying yeah. the rightful government, and a lot of a lot of uh, veterans, a lot of ex-military men, they're saying, why are we not helping them? They clearly have force. They have people. They're ready to fight. They're ready to go. And I, I don't know how um, how much you guys have seen about how exactly the Taliban have actually taken over the country, but I get I've gotten a lot of firsthand accounts of this, and I've had a lot of information come my way based on how you know this moving forward uh, when the taliban seized all these different weapons and ammunitions and and humvees and tanks they also seized a lot of several pallets of cash uh the president yeah. of of afghanistan Ghani, he was reported to have left with four suvs and a helicopter full of cash uh he yeah. sold out his own country he's he's a traitor why are we not going after him that's treason like against his own country he yeah. allowed the Taliban to take it over. Why are we, why is the U.S. not going after him? We know where he's located. Why do we not put him on trial for what he did? He sold out his country. If you look at videos, people are saying, well, why didn't the Afghans fight back? Well, the Afghans didn't fight anywhere. The Taliban just walked in and were able to take it. Yeah. They had some small fights in small areas, you know, the outskirts of some cities. But the reason why, you know, the actual government didn't fight is because the Taliban were given piles upon piles of cash. Yeah, they had literally money. bought out all the leaders. They bought them out. Yeah, There's videos of soldiers standing there crying and screaming that they're not going to give up their weapons and they will stay and they will fight. But their leaders are saying, no, you have to. All because it was paid yeah. for and bought by them. That small group of yeah. if we look back at the Taliban even a year ago, two years ago, what kind of force did they have? What power did they have? They had nothing. They couldn't do anything. They, they were too afraid to move. They couldn't do anything. And then I'm looking at videos now, and they're in the middle of a field, and there's several hundred of them, and they have hundreds and hundreds of tanks and humvees. 
well, do we not have drones? Do we not understand that they are literally all Taliban taking that over? So if we're going to have drone strikes, instead of having them in the middle of Kabul, in the middle of the city with civilians, why don't we target that area where we know they're all Taliban, they're all there, they're collecting weapons, two for one, destroy the weapons and kill the terrorists. Not even that. They're literally lining the tanks up. They're parading them. They're lining them up. They're lining them up for a strafing run, right? It's the perfect target. So that's interesting. I mean, we had heard about the pallets. We had heard about the pallets of $100 bills. We've heard about how the Afghan gov- uh, military, its they're not rallying around a flag that's a paycheck for most of them. Um, we've heard about all that. Obviously, the money's going to run out at some point unless other countries begin paying for this, which is entirely possible as well. But how or are they, they holding the weapons. countryside? Yeah, they sell the same weapons, get back into the opium trade. Um, lots of things they could probably do. But how are they holding the countryside? Because they don't have enough people. In Afghanistan, like so many other areas in this area of the world, they have towns, villages, cities, and then 100 or 200 miles of just open desert or open highway. They can't have left enough people of those areas, behind not there. to control these cities. They're not there. There's nobody there. They're not there. So the smallest cities, if there's only a few hundred people there, there's no, there's no one there. What you end up having is small groups of local people who want to seize power and they see an opportunity yeah. and they'll claim to be a part of the group just to have power in their local area. So you might have two, 300 people yeah. in this, in the small village and a group of five to 10, 20 people, whatever they say, okay, we're Talibs too. We're going to join them. Um, and now you guys just have to provide everything for us. And they do this, they go to small villages, they'll walk up to a house and they'll literally demand, uh, and they'll do this in all areas where the Taliban are at, where the actual Taliban are at now too. They'll walk up to homes, They'll tell a home, you need to provide food, three meals a day for 200 soldiers. The day you don't do that, we're killing your sons and your husbands. And now these poor families who have no money, who don't even have means to provide food for themselves, are stuck in the middle of nowhere with nothing to provide. But if they don't feed these people, if they don't feed 150, 200 people every day, three times a day, their family's dead. So these people are trying to escape. A lot of these people left their homes some of them even left after their families, family members were killed. They left and they went to Kabul. They were seeking refuge in Kabul. It, it's, it's the most heart-sounding thing in the world. But, you know, if, if I walked up to you today, understanding that, you know, we're from the West, we have a lot more means. If I told you today you need to provide three, three meals a day for 200 soldiers, and if you don't, your family's dead, would you be able to provide that? In the West, we can't provide that. Uh, probably not. Pro- probably not, no. No. And it's all home cooked. You are literally, yeah. it's its simply impossible. They're demanding yeah. you that you go into a village. They don't homes. have enough goats. They don't have enough goats. They don't have enough crops. They have nothing. We're, we're, we're speaking here with Shabir, his family stuck in Afghanistan, stuck in Kabul, um, wife pregnant with his uh, soon to be born child who will become an American citizen. Um, I don't want to, I don't want to, Take up too much of your time, but briefly have to mention this podcast brought to you by AirMed Care Network. AirMed Care Network, the premier insurance plan to cover families, entire households, should any of you ever need to be airlifted for a medical emergency. It can cost 60 grand to be airlifted to a hospital here in the United States. Don't worry about that. Join up with AirMed Care Network. It costs just $85 for coverage for your whole household for one year, less if you're a senior citizen, less if you buy three or five years at a time. So go to the link in our description, airmedcarenetwork.com forward slash daily. And if you use promo code daily, they're going to give you up to $50 back. It's free money. So again, airmedcarenetwork.com forward slash daily and use promo code daily to get up to $50 back. 
sorry, ha- had to read that. Um, <laughs> it's it's always it's always awkward fine. reading them. Um, so I'm trying to wrap my head around all of this. I don't want you to share anything that gets your family in trouble, but do they have a plan? Because I know you're stuck in India and the airport's done. There's, there's no flights in. I know there's some countries trying to figure out how to, how to prop up that airport. There's no air traffic controllers. There's no security. There's yeah. no one to, to guide the planes in. It's, it's empty. The only thing running around now are, are the contract dogs that the U.S. military left behind. We left behind 51, not officially military dogs, but they might, have well, might as well have been. They were contractor dogs. They're the only people running around the airport right now. So there's no flights in and out. The U.S. is gone. Do, do you have a plan that you can share with us or, or, or what kind of avenues you're looking at? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so since I came out here, I developed a list of plans. Um, in total, I think there was over 24 different plans. Um, just, you know, I had to come up with redundancies because I don't trust our processes. And clearly, none of our processes work. I'm already close to the end of everything I can do, um, which is why I started reaching out to people on my own social media and I was asking for help and I was asking for any connections. Um, I've gone to the point where I've literally asked to be put in touch with people who can get my family out for money. I've offered to you know, get a second mortgage on a home, get do whatever I had to do to get them out. And I can't even get in touch with people to get them out. Um, and it's been insane, but now, um, I'm on one of my on my final legs of a plan, which only came to fruition because of some uh, changes in regulations with where I can and cannot travel. Um, I've gotten visas for myself to every country I could think of at the time. I went and got a visa to Turkey. I got a visa to Tajikistan. I got a visa to India. Um, I'm able to travel freely to areas like the UAE and Qatar and Bahrain, but a lot of those countries had COVID restrictions. And so... With the UAE, Bahrain, and Qatar, they had COVID restrictions that you couldn't get in. Now yeah. um, I'm able to to get into the UAE at least. Uh, my plan right now is to get into the UAE and end up getting into Pakistan somehow, um, which you know a lot of people will say is is still not safe, but I have no other option. Um, for me, the moment I headed out my door. The moment I got that ticket, I said, I don't care. I'll go into the middle of this because I need to get my wife out. Yeah. She is my priority. That's it. Um, I left my home, and that's my only mentality. If I have to, I'll still go to Afghanistan and get them out if I have to. I will get them out by force. I will literally carry her on my back if I absolutely have to. Whatever needs to be done, I will do. Um, Pakistan is not going to be the best option for me, especially because I have multiple visas to, to India and now uh, I've got a connection there and I'm trying to get something to work there so I can get myself into Pakistan and at the same time find a way to, to get them there. Most likely going through legal channels. Well, Pakistan, work for them. Because Pakistan won't like the Indian stamp on your passport. Yeah. Oh, that's that's exactly. the one country that you could actually get to. Oh my goodness. That's like I, I, went, I lived abroad in the Middle East and I, went to, I was in Lebanon and I was – like if you had an Israeli stamp on your passport, they would they wouldn't let you in in some places. So that, that's terrifying. But you hear people say that they'd move mountains for their family. Obviously, you're li- you're literally doing that. You're 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 exhausting everything. I know Joe says that he's in contact with some people. He dropped off his internet is is weird. Uh, it's it's actually a little humorous that you're you have better internet than him. <laughs> but uh, oh, I've but, I've spent probably just for internet and making sure that my phone works. I've already totaled up probably six seven hundred dollars just to make sure that 
yeah. I don't lose connection because a split second with them being there could mean everything. Um, yeah. But, yeah, wait, I, you know, I've got my U.S. Absolutely. line working here, and it's so been, you're you're not coming home until until you get your family. Oh no! Until until I I see my wife, I I don't plan on coming home until I have my wife in my arms and I can safely bring her in somehow. Because what's the point of being in the U.S.? What's the point of living if yeah. if I know my my wife and child yeah. aren't with me and and they're still in danger? You know, no, I can't look at people and just you know do what Joe Biden didn't look at my watch or just walk away. That's my wife. That's my that's my son. That's my family. How do I turn my back on them? I can't. You can't. No, it's it, it's both heartbreaking, but also it's uplifting because it's it's something that that every every everyone says they 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 go to the end of the earth to protect their family. And you're doing it right now, so um, I don't want to take up too much of your time because I know you you've got phone calls you're trying to make you're trying to get them out. Um, but I'll give you the final word. I, I don't want to talk over you. Um, if there is a takeaway, because obviously you are you're you're privy to much more information than than we are. We've tried to report on the chaos, on on just how terrible this has been. I'll give you the final word. Just just explain again to anyone maybe who wasn't watching what's going on, and uh, and and just tell us what you're seeing. Absolutely. Um, what we're seeing on the ground in Afghanistan is entirely. It's completely in contrast with what everyone's being told. 95% of everything that's being told is inaccurate. I've watched every briefing and I've, I've listened to everything that they've said. Everything that I've been hearing is is false. It's either entirely made up or they're bending the truth to, to sound like they're doing something. Uh, you know, every time I hear them say, oh, you know, we, we're so proud of ourselves. It's the largest airlift we've ever had in U.S. history. We've got 122,000 people out. I think to myself and say, Wow. So if I say, hey, I killed 5 million, but I, I didn't kill 100,000 of them, should I, get a, should I get a trophy for that? Should I, should I get a trophy for destroying the lives of, of citizens, of our own soldiers, of families, of allies, of people that, you know, and the allies kind of hits me a little harder. It hits me a little differently. I've always cared about our soldiers a lot, but what hits me a little bit differently about our allies is they were born there. They were born there, they were raised there, and they realized, hey, this is a shit system. I can't live with this. I need to make a change. I'll put myself and my family at risk because, you know, if we're in the U.S. And, and someone chooses to go into the military, their family's praised for it because they're in yeah. the U.S. military. If you're in the middle of Afghanistan and you have a family member go into the military, you're in the middle. You're essentially in hell. You have demons all around you trying to kill you because you have that person helping the U.S., now, if you are in the middle of it trying to fight the Taliban and you know they're around you and they, they can find you, as they've, they've found so many others in the past, your sacrifice is a little bit greater because it's not just your own body. It's, it's your family members. They know who you have at home. They can get to your home very easily. If you're in the U.S. and you're a soldier and you deployed to Afghanistan, they're not getting to your home very easily at all. We won't allow that to happen. But if you're in Afghanistan and they're doing that, they will get to your home. They will get to your family and they will do whatever they can. And that's exactly what we're facing now. And all these people that we promised, and you know, it's not just the 21 times that Joe Biden said that we're gonna get all the Americans and our allies out. It's it's all the thousands of times, you know, that we've promised them that we would get them out. We told them from the beginning that, hey, we understand what you're going through. We know what you're facing. 
But if you go through this adversity and help us hand in hand, come end of the day, we're going to help you too. We're going to bring you to a better place. We're going to help your country. We're going to help your nation. We're going to help your people. And at the end of the day, if we have to, we will get you out of there. And we will protect your family. And we've broken that promise with now well over six figures of people. It, it's it's the largest failure. It's If there's anything ever to make me reconsider being as proud of an American as I am, it would be this. It's the fact that we have leadership in our country that can get away with this, that can completely betray our allies. Because what is that going to do for us in the future? What are we going to do the next time that we need allies on the ground? Who's going to turn to us having seen that we left hundreds of thousands behind the last time? That puts our soldiers yeah. at risk. That, that, put, that puts our country at risk. It prevents us from moving forward as a nation. And not only that, but just the humanity side of it. We're not human unless if we show humanity. That's what makes us human. And to go back on our word, it's, it's insane. And then the fact that you have wonderful organizations with incredible people, like um, you have a lot of veterans who are going back in to try and get people out right now. Yeah. Right? You have uh, – you got so like many the people. Pineapple have, Express guys. Task Force Pineapple. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Task Force Pineapple. Those guys. They're – at this point, they're civilians, they're ex-military, they're veterans. Yeah. They're not people that are supposed to be there. They're the ones upholding the promise made to these people by the U.S. government. They're not the ones that should have to be cashing that check. The government should be. If you have soldiers sneaking out in the middle of the night, dropping all their identifying gear, going out and finding the people that worked with them because they know that they're brothers to them. They went and found their own people. They got them out, and they risked their lives. They put their lives on the line for them. They did that because they know, hey, that guy put in as much as I did, if not more. So if yeah. I can't get him out, what's the point of me being here? They put their lives on the line, and they went counter to what they were ordered to do. The moment you have to go against your orders in, in, the, in the military to, to provide humanity and to actually with, you know, uphold the promise made by your own government, that's the moment that you know that your government's entirely failed you it's entirely failed. Everyone that you know that's ever been in your position. What are we supposed to say to all those veterans who spent the last twenty years in Afghanistan? My own uncle, he spent time in Afghanistan. You know, he's he's a military vet. He was in the Marines. Uh, he went in two thousand one. And how, what do we say to them? What do we say to all the people that were in Afghanistan? That were in that area? They were there for a reason. They didn't go there just for fun. They didn't go there just to blow stuff up and shoot people. No, they went in. Because they had purpose. How can you respond to them? How can you look them in the eye and say, hey, by the way, I know you went in 20 years ago to get rid of those terrorists. Well, now we just gave them a ton of money, a ton of weapons, and we gave them a whole country. How yeah. can you – if we at this point cannot get rid of those leaders, if we cannot replace those people, if we cannot bring ourselves back onto a right track, this is not the same America that I grew up in. It's not. And it's not it's one of those things that kind of breaks my heart and just kind of breaks my will and kind of my essential core beliefs and understanding that, hey, we have a great way of life and we need to pursue this and continue forward. It's it's absolutely ridiculous. It's, if it's we like have that, our lawmakers like pushing so that. hard for mask mandates. Don't, don't even get me started on the mask it, mandates. It, the, it, the only mask mandates I'm seeing in, in Afghanistan are, are burqas. 
I mean, they're, they're talking about, oh, COVID restrictions. They're always wearing a mask there. It's insane. No, you, I, you, I, I, it's insane because I am a Muslim. 99.999% of all the these assholes are doing are not aligned with Islam at all. For example, they're saying that they're implementing Sharia law, right? Do you know what Sharia law is? Yeah, yeah. It's 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 not a legislative branch. Yeah. No. It's no, an it's, internal understanding. Do you know what the first yeah. rule of Sharia law is? It's because it, it's uh, not legislative at all. The first yeah. the first rule of Sharia law is to live by the laws of the land in which you currently reside in. Yeah. You know, if if we're not doing that, if we're not following true Sharia, which it's not legislative, Sharia just it mean it, it's it literally means way of life. It means, hey, just do better. Do what God's asked you to do. For example, one of the one of the key factors in Islam, the um, and I only know I know this very well because I was named after uh, the nicknames that the Prophet Muhammad gave to his grandsons, Hassan and Hussein. He called them Shabir and Shubayr. I was named after them, and I know a lot about their father, Ali. Ali was one of the greatest warriors of the time. In the middle of war, while while fighting someone, one of the combatants who he was about to actually kill spat in his face what did he do he let the guy go and said hey if i kill you now i killed you because you angered me and you spat on my face it's not because i was fighting you because you you guys were oppressors it's because you spat on my face so i can't kill you because if i kill you i'm going I'm, I'm damned to eternal hell i can't do that yeah that's the kind of stuff that 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 would actually stand for and these guys don't know that they don't know what they're talking about they don't know anything about their faith or their religion um you can ask some of these guys, and you probably know this. How many times a day do Muslims pray? Right? It's it's oh, five times. Five times. Yeah. <laughs> five times a day. There's videos of the, of people asking the Taliban, and you get all kind of crazy answers saying one, two, ten. They don't know. Most of them don't know what they're talking about. They don't know anything. Yeah. They're no. brainwashed. They're idiots. Yeah. It would be it, it, whenever anyone asks me how to describe Sharia, it, it would be like someone being Christian and interpreting Leviticus, which is one of the books, completely literally, like stoning a woman for wearing pants or stoning someone for eating shellfish. Like it, it just, it doesn't happen, right? It, it, it might be written down, but you don't kill someone because a woman wore pants, right? It just, it, there's no literal, it's not supposed to be interpreted that literally. Um, but no, it, it's, it's, it's crazy. Well, like As you mentioned, you mentioned the, the allies, it's, and I don't think enough's being said about the allies because these are people that we convinced them. We got them to buy into America. We got them to buy into Western um, liberalism, to self-governance. These people are in their country are the John Hancocks of their own revolution. Like not literally. They didn't actually sign their Declaration of Independence, but they might as well have. They, they, they signed their death wish the minute that they decided to fight with America. And we knew that, they knew that, and we promised that we'd get them out. And there are countless American soldiers who are alive today because one of these allies pushed them out of a way or, or, or took a bullet for them, right? Literally in some cases. And now they're being left behind. It is, yeah. it, it is tragic, and I agree with you. No country will ever work with us in, with intelligence or with, with uh, military. No country will work with us. It's, it would be idiotic. It'd be stupid. And there, there's some other numbers that are even crazier. Out of the 122,000 evacuated, there was roughly 5,400 of them that were citizens. Mm -hmm. And some reports are showing that only roughly 7,000 were SIV applicants. Oh, so they're just taking right? anyone. Oh, yeah. It was absolute horseshit. And those people, I, like I said, my family was dead. They could not get in. 
Yeah. How do you think those, uh, most of these people aren't getting in just because, oh, you know, it's magical. No, these people stay there for four or five days at a time. And all that goes to demonstrate isn't, hey, why are, why do we let these people in? Because, you know, they probably, most of them, a good majority of them, obviously there's some that, you know, snuck in that absolutely should not have ever. Yeah, and that they're already catching caught them. some of. And yeah, they're catching some of these guys. But the reason why this happened is because of our process. If we knew well in advance that this is going to happen, how come, you know, six months ago, we didn't start evacuating all the citizens? We only had 2,500 2, soldiers on the ground. We could have evacuated every citizen without a problem. All we would have to do is do what? Send every one of them an email, a text message or whatever, contact them, put it up on the USMC board saying, hey, we're requiring all citizens to evacuate the country right now. Why don't we just amp up all of our SIVs? We could have done, gone through and done a, gone through a rigorous process. And uh, there's actually another thing that we say in Afghanistan. Um, and it's that in Afghanistan, if you have fake papers, fake papers are accepted more often than real ones. Well, yeah, because most most of the Taliban, so, most people can't read. It's like forty five percent of the country's men can read. It's it's not even about it reading. It's, it's all about paying. It's all about paying. Yeah, money. It's all the money. They don't care about reading. What happens is the people that have real documents, like my family, they don't get through. Yeah. Most of these people that you know, you'll get people with SIBs, and this is why the whole process is broken. People pay for these documents and then they pay to have someone let them in and then they keep going forward that way. But then people that really did work with the U.S., they don't get through. We don't have a proper system for them. But if we had actually, you know, instead of saying, oh, no, COVID, put a mask on, you know, we're still going to evacuate and leave the country and let's just shut down the embassy. Why didn't we just say, hey, you know what? Instead of letting hundreds of thousands die when COVID clearly was not an issue in Afghanistan, it, it, it wasn't an issue. It was nothing. We should have had that embassy running full speed. We should have been going and processing through every possible case we could, vetting them, making sure that we're bringing the right people into the country. We could have spent the last six months making sure that every person that we brought, you know, we could have brought in every yeah. proper SID yeah. case with their entire family, with every citizen, with every green card holder. We would have had all of the right people. And then the very last step would be, hey, let's demilitarize all of our, our gear and evacuate. The evacuation yeah. would only have been the military. The whole process could have taken six months. The problem was when they pulled all of their crazy bullshit. I mean, even at the very end, when when the reason why the Taliban came into Kabul, it wasn't because they felt like it. What happened Biden was that Afghani left the country. Yeah. The Taliban said, hey, Kabul's falling to shit because the president left. Yeah. Either you go and take control of Kabul yeah. or we will. And Biden said, no, you do it. The same way he had them take yeah. control of the perimeter, the same way he nego negotiated. I love his negotiations. You know, what happened to not negotiating with terrorists? Is that <laughs> not also ingrained into the American way of life? Yeah. Yeah. All these things that I grew up believing, you know, this is 100% American. This is, this is how you can be a red-blooded American. You don't negotiate with terrorists. You leave no man behind. You have respect for your faith, your family, your friends. All these things are being thrown out the window. Everything that's yeah. American about us is being thrown out the window. It's not the not same even, America. It isn't. And I mean, that would have been. <laughs> you, you, you talk about simple solutions. The minute that the, the, that the Taliban get in their convoy of, of trucks and they start heading 100 miles down the highway, just bomb the whole line of trucks. Just, <laughs> like, what am I missing? Uh, well, you know, clearly, clearly it was a better idea to wait and then bomb yeah. a single ISIS K member 
in the middle of a crowded area because that's more effective than bombing you know the 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 thousands that are all together and then kill a bunch of kids in the process and oh by the way they're not going to tell us who the isis member that they were targeting is you know why because they don't want us to know that he was just released from prison that's my bet all of them were a majority it was essentially all of the isis k members were all in prison the Taliban, the first thing that they did was they went and freed every person from every prison. The Afghanistan was the only country in the world with zero people in their prisons. Yeah. <laughs> zero. That's, it, it's heartbreaking because it just seems like. Yeah, maybe maybe I, I they thought from... it was a uh, prison. Yeah. They thought it was a prison <laughs> crisis like, you know, the U.S. and figured let's just release yeah, everybody. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Does that make sense? No, I mean. I, I can't I can't help but harken back to all these times, even just the last couple of weeks that Joe Biden says this is the best it could have been. It's the best it could have been. Um, I don't I don't know how how anyone who voted for this man can say with a straight face that they're glad they did it. Um, hearing your story, it's very obvious this wouldn't have happened with Trump. Um, I think a lot of times oh, it gets a little overblown because uh, but this definitely would not have happened with Trump. This is Joe Biden. Joe Biden did this. Um and it's you, our last guest before you came on said it. You get you, you get what you vote for, and uh, I, I, oh, yeah. I pray that people well, wake or, up. Or or you get what they they say you voted for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You you get what you get what the election machines say you voted for. Yeah. Well, Sh- Shabir, I, I don't want to take up too much of your time, and and I appreciate you coming on, telling your story. Um, everyone is um, I, I know everyone in the comment sections have been have been really. Um, happy to hear your story and everyone's praying for you. Everyone's hope, hoping that you can get your, your family out. Uh, I, I wish you nothing but the best. I'm, I'm really sorry that this, this happened to you. I'm sorry that you've got stuck in India. Um, Joe, Joe, you're back. Um, do you want, you want to chime in just as we end this? Yeah. So I'm sorry that, uh, I got cut off. I don't know what happened. My internet, uh, went out on me. But uh, Shabir, we'll be in touch and we'll do everything we can to make sure that we uh, get your wife and, and family out safe. Um, there's a yeah, if there's a there's there's a will, there's a way and there's definitely the will. So we'll 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 work with you okay. to help that happen. Absolutely. Thank you, Joe. In the meantime, we will be saying prayers for your for your wife and your unborn. Is it your son? Is it a boy? Yeah, it's going to be a boy. Okay, well, congratulations. As a as a father of two kids, I can tell you there's no better gift that God gives you than uh, to be a father. Little well, Shabir Jr. Joe, uh, I actually I I know one of your kids, Joe. Um, I went to school with her in Florida. Yeah, so. she speaks very highly of you, and um, you know she reached out to me when she saw that you were looking for help, and I said absolutely, we do everything we can. And uh, we're pretty well connected in a lot of different areas. And so uh, we'll make sure that we do everything possible to help uh, your wife and your your unborn son, but also uh, her family as well and your family. Yeah, I, would, I appreciate everything. I mean, when there's nothing, you know, everyone that says there's nothing to be done, there's always one thing that you can't do, and that's pray. One thing I always Mashallah. thought everyone, um, you know, people always, yeah, <laughs> thank you. Um, one thing I tell everyone is, you know, whether you're praying to any God, whether you're a Jew, a Christian, a Muslim, we're praying to the same God. And a lot of people don't realize this. It's the same God. As a Muslim, I believe in the Bible. I believe in the Torah. I believe in Moses as a prophet. I believe in Jesus as a prophet. I believe we're praying to the very same God. You know, in, in the Quran, it actually says the people of the book. 
exactly. He is Al Masih. And, you know, a lot of people don't realize it. But we're praying to the same God. And to me, it's just people that, you know, a lot of people don't understand this, but prayer can be very, very strong when, when you can't do anything else. So I'm going to tell you a little secret. And my daughter probably maybe have filled you in on it. But um, I worked um, to found an organization called Track 5 uh, Bridges to a Common Ground with a man named Mark Siljander working on uh, bridging divides between Muslims, Christians, and Jews. So I've studied the Bible. I've studied the Quran. I've studied the – and um, I've done uh, – you know, I've, I've worked in the Middle East and Africa on peace and reconciliation and among all the other work that I was doing in those areas for – uh, conflict resolution, but uh, you know, I'm very familiar. I have lots of friends in the Middle East. I have lots of friends in Afghanistan and Saudi Arabia, Bahrain, Israel, all, all over the region. And uh, most people are beautiful people, but much like the U.S., uh, you know, we've been hijacked by radical, uh, I'll call them radical leftist terrorists that uh, do not believe in God. They don't believe in any God. Um, and the same thing can be said about the Taliban and some of these groups. Um, they just, you know, some just go along with it, but uh, more often than not, there's just a, a very radical element that exists in the Middle East that is oppressing and stopping opportunity and hurting people. And um, frankly, we have we have an obligation to kind of stop that. And here we did. We pulled out. And I thought that, uh, you know, maybe we shouldn't have gone in to begin with, but maybe we definitely shouldn't have left the way we left and left so many people to uh, slaughter. So. Absolutely. It's, well, well, thank you so much for the time, Shabir. Um, I, I really do appreciate it. And again, we're, we're praying for you and absolutely. anything we can do to help, we, we absolutely will. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Thank you, Shabir. I'll be in touch uh, today. Absolutely. I look forward to it. Uh, I will right. be uh, taking off in about an hour and a half uh, to catch a flight. Um, but yeah, if you were able to speak before that, great. If not, then uh, I will be able to speak in about six hours from now. Well, you'll you'll be you'll be hearing from me uh, uh, within the next uh, 20, 30 minutes. Perfect. Okay. Right. Well, well, thank you so much, Shabir, and, and Godspeed, Habibi. And of course, you will say Tashakor. It's a little simpler, a little shorter. A little, so a little simpler, a little shorter. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, well, shukran, shukran works as well, but uh, it's, shukran. <laughs> well, 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 that was Shabir. Um, heartbreaking, heartbreaking what's happening to him, his wife, his unborn child, the family. Um, it's, it's, it, I can't even imagine the feeling of helplessness, but I can imagine the feeling of wanting to move mountains, wanting to go the other side of the world to save your family. And, uh, and that is what he's doing. So everyone, please do pray for Shabir. And, and if you have anyone in the State Department or, or anyone that you know, now's the time to make those calls because he is, he is begging for help. So, yeah. Joe, any, any fi final words? We're a little bit over time, but any final words before we wrap up this podcast? You know, I do have some final words. You know, we are in a – it has been a very difficult week, week and a half. It's been difficult because we've dealt with so much unrest across the country. We've dealt with so much turmoil, not just in Afghanistan, losing our own 
in the, the 14 soldiers that were killed in Afghanistan, but also just in dealing with what we have on both a domestic and a foreign basis. We have we have become the uh, the ship without an engine, ship without a rudder, so to speak, in America, uh, being led by a illegitimate regime. And you can say what you want, but all the signs point towards evil um, infiltration of our government and of our of our leadership on both sides of the aisle. So I just want you to know that even though all of that is happening, there is much to be uh, grateful for, much to be hopeful for, because we are waking up. People are waking up every day. And I always tell people, just put your head in the sand, no problem. Pretty soon the sand will be filled with water and you're gonna drown to death. And But more and more people are pulling their heads out of the sand, looking around and starting to realize that this is not the America they signed up for. And this is not the America that will bring opportunity to not only our kids and grandkids, but generations will never know. So the fight is on. We don't have to do it violently. But the first shot that's fired by them into us, we, we will not sit there and just be led to slaughter. We will stand and defend this nation. We will just stand and defend each other. But we must do so by standing together. So lots of things that are going to come out over the next couple of weeks. Last thing that I do need to talk about, Max, is the Patriot Ranch. Um, 1776 Patriot Ranch. We are 363 people short. Um, that is a that is a rather insurmountable number. That is uh, nearly a third of what we need um, to make this thing happen. So I'll be going on podcasts and I'll be uh, going through it. I'll be reaching out to the people who have already signed up um, and making sure that we handle that over the next week or so. So uh, look for an email from me. I'm not going to have a ton of time to spend with you. I'll send it over to you if you want to do it. Great. If you don't, we will go ahead and um, return your your contribution to the um, to the uh, co-op. Um, but I, I, I want to spend time talking to all of you, but just keep in mind that I have 800 to uh, communicate with. So it's not a lack of, of wanting to, and I hope to have a huge Patriot rally down at the ranch and we'll throw like a Patriot Palooza. Um, but uh, I think it's going to be really a great thing. I think it's going to be a very big symbol that um, we can protect at least that part of the of the border and we can stop some of the trafficking that may come through there and start holding people accountable. And other than that, I think that uh, we're heading down a great path. And, you know, I put a post up on Telegram that, that talked about kind of the irony of everything that is happening. So if you get a chance to check it out, please do. And then we will be going live on uh, Frank's speech here very shortly. We're not there yet, but uh, I plan to light a fire under the team and and get us there in the next couple of days. So we do have a new format too, Max. Did you did you mention that at all yet? I haven't. I haven't. Okay. You want to mention it? Um, I don't know all the details on it, quite frankly, but you can. Okay. So the there's two other things that I want to do. I want to. I want to. You know, the, I'm not an emotional person. I said I wouldn't bring this up for this reason, but. Um, I want to say thank you to all of the people that donated to the Give, Send, Go uh, for legal fees. I know it reached $50,000 yesterday. I'll be sending an update out just to thank everyone. Um, I also want to say thank you for all the prayers and the prayer comments that are there. I do get a chance to read all of them. And, um, you know, it's, uh, I, just want to, I just appreciate the fact that you're willing to stand up and, and help financially for something that's been draconian i had a i had a couple of these anti-fights that said 
that somewhere along the line, I was a grifter. Uh, I have to tell you, I have spent nearly a quarter of a million dollars on legal fees. Um, I had to step down from my company. There's no part of me that's ever been able to or uh, saw it as easy to ask for help. I'm usually the one helping others. So I want to say thank you to you and to those uh, anti-fights that are listening or or others that uh, are just the evildoers of our society. I'll just tell you that uh, when the fight's over, um, you'll be the one apologizing for all the things that you've done to this great nation. So um, the new format, which starts tomorrow, we'll, we'll go live from uh, 9 a.m. Uh, Mountain Time, uh, which is 11 o'clock Eastern Time, uh, and for one hour. And we'll be going live a second time at uh, 5 o'clock Mountain Time, which is 7 o'clock uh, Eastern Standard Time. So we'll send out a text message on both. We're going to break it up a little bit and uh, give us an opportunity to to mature what actually happens during the course of a day, talk about what happened the previous day, and and have some really good uh, speakers, excuse me, some uh, guests on. We have a just a packed agenda of what's going to happen over the next uh, three to six months. We'll follow the war room with Steve Bannon, so we'll be behind his show. And um, really, I do think that uh, this format will work out better, give people an opportunity to break up and, and get one hour without feeling like they're missing out on the other hour. Also do the downloads will still happen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all the other places we're at. So um, we also have some major sponsors that are coming in. And so support them as they support us, as we support you. Um, last is God wins. He's in our corner. And, uh, you know, we, we know how this ends. We just have to make sure that we stay in the fight and honor our faith um, by committing to act in that faith. Spider. Well, that was that was uh, a <laughs> spider. The spider slap startled me. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, that's going to be it for this edition of the Conservative Daily Podcast. If you like the podcast, please do make sure that you subscribe to the audio edition of the podcast. That's available. Links are all in the description. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Podbean. Please do, if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts if you have an Apple device. And do leave us a good five-star review. Not a four-star. We need a five-star to help us rise up in the rankings we go we, we the format will be changing so make sure you you text the word freedom to 89517 to get text alerts when we're going to go live very very important um yeah just check out all the links in the description that's going to be it for this edition of the podcast my name is max mcguire and my name is joe oltman remember everyone that the fight to take back our country isn't over yet but the only way we win is if we all stand up and fight together